Welcome to Speak It On. This program is designed for the edification and entertainment of the listeners and not designed to be representative of a church, nonprofit organization, or denomination. Opinions expressed are solely those of the host. Hey, welcome back. As always, thank you for listening and. Please don't forget, we have a Patreon page for Speak It On. Any contribution you make would be greatly appreciated and needed. Let's look again at professional ministry. I've mentioned some things. In fact, one podcast uh, had to do with titles. How a lot of times, especially in modern era, we get really wrapped up in titles. And we'll slap a title on just about anything. The super superintendent of greater wonder of the benevolence of God and things of things of that nature. And basically that person just empties the trash or something of that nature. Which is, by the way, everything you do for ministry is for ministry, but don't necessarily need a title for it. But here's the thing. Today, let's look at advancement. Advancement. Everyone looks at advancement. Because, let's be honest, when you take a job, you don't expect that you'll be in that job, that same job, making the same pay 20 years later. Not many people do. You would at least hope that there would be some extra benefits to the job later or more often than not we judge it by money because you're making more money um interesting thought process now let's look at ministry all right ministry which is basically if you look at a church a church is a non-profit organization with pastors that make over $90,000. However, let me also say this. Hospitals, at least in the uh, United States, are also non-profit organizations. And that's almost laughable when you look at what a hospital makes. And which their average pay is for a hospital administrator. It would just blow your mind. But here, most people or at least I would say a good average number of people would not say that you go into social work for money because it's just not there by the way I've done some social work and no the money was not there you didn't go in there for the money also education most people don't go into education for the money necessarily um, now be very honest with you some superintendents make quite a bit of money but it takes a bit to get to the point where you're a superintendent so here's the thing ministers ministers professional ministers when they go in there most of them don't have the idea that you know I'm just going to stick with this 
hundred member church forever. They want more money. They want a better position. They want a better place to stay. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But it can be if it gets in the way of God. Now, there's basically three ways that a minister can make more money or advance. Let's just say advance because it's not always about money even though it seems that way sometimes. It's not always about money. It's advancement. Uh, So, if you look at a church as an organization and I'm going to go ahead and just say at this point most of the churches, organizations, they're not organic anymore. They're more like machinery. They're more like uh, uh, more like a uh, corporation than a organism. But when you look at them, there's for minister. There's really three ways that a minister can grow and get more of whatever it is they need more resources in their lives, do more for their families, more for their kids, get better stuff. So the first way is for them to start the church themselves from the ground up. Uh, Jerry Farwell, many years ago, uh, who was famous many years ago, more so in the 80s, Thompson Avenue's Baptist Church, and you might know or have heard of the university he started, which is Liberty University. Uh, he started that church, I believe, or at least came to that church when it was little itty bitty, and he grew it into a mega church. And of course, as he grew, congregation gets bigger, and his salary gets bigger office gets bigger and all these other things but you grow it from the ground up Uh, I think Greg Laurie fills that shoe and also um, well there's several ministers that you could probably think of in fact I think also um, oh Tony Evans excuse me of uh, Urbandale in Dallas Uh, started his church I think out of a garage with five, five to seven people his family included in there. And uh, it's big. It's a mega church. So, now, so as the church grows, salary grows, benefits grow, and things of that nature. Now, you know, you might be saying, well, okay, okay, well, so what? What are you getting at? Is that a bad thing? Well, no, not necessarily. In fact, to be very honest, I'm kind of fond of that model in in some ways. The another way is really an organizational system. Uh, it's an organizational way. It's basically where you have a minister that starts small, and this is a lot of evangelical Protestant groups kind of have this model and they start with a small church 
they get out of seminary and they have to have a master's degree because nobody's going to hire them without a master's degree from the seminary they like. And I got a little problem with that because a lot of pulpit committees don't have the foggiest flipping clue what they're looking at. And that really irks me. And it irks me because it's lazy and because it's hurtful and harmful to the people of the church and has to do with people not wanting to serve on committees and do their due diligence and check out the people they're looking at, pulpit committees specifically. But here's the thing. Um, a and, and, to be quite honest, this person's got to have a master's degree most of the time. Why? I don't have the foggiest clue because most of the time they're not teaching at a master's level in the church. Now they can grow people up to the master's level, I believe, if they're diligent and they're, and they're, they keep their education sharp, but that doesn't always happen either. And, you know, a lot of times churches fight them because they don't want to learn, and a lot of times the be quite honest, the ministers is blooming lazy, and they don't want to. They don't want to push because of why they may get fired. And this is another problem with professional ministry. However, comma, let's go to the model of they get out of seminary and they get a little church. They may even get a youth director's job, and what they'll do is they'll stay in the youth director's job just long enough to get maybe an associate pastor's position uh, maybe uh, a standard uh, not a youth job but a associate pastor's job or maybe even a pastor job at a small church they'll stay at that small church maybe uh, six years you know maybe not even that long sometimes two to four and then they'll move to a bigger church and then they'll stay there two to four years and go to a bigger church and then the two two to four years there, and they'll go to a bigger church, and then a bigger church, and a bigger church, and a bigger church, and then with each progressive church, they get more stuff, they get more perks, they get more benefits. Um, what's wild and woolly and interesting, and a friend of mine pointed out, a very uh, fantastic pastor that I very highly respect many years ago pointed out to me you know it's really weird how God never calls some of these guys to smaller churches with less pay yeah that's a head scratcher that one um so the question is is God really calling you to more money to a bigger church maybe Maybe, maybe not. But anyway, situation being, there's that. Um, many Protestant uh, non-liturgical groups, okay, follow that kind of situation. Start small church, probably starting a youth job, and then get a regular pastor job because they don't consider youth as a regular pastor ministry necessarily. You can tell when somebody's called a youth ministry, by the way. You can tell because they stay there. Um, but anyway, people uh, 
you know, get a bigger church, bigger church, bigger church, bigger church. So that's another way. The other way is more for your liturgical groups because they're dealing with the organization and it works. Whereas after they pass ordination and uh, go through the uh, seminary system, they're, they're assigned a small church. And then they're assigned a larger church and a larger church. Then, if they have some aspirations, they may desire to be bishop. And they may get a bishop position, or they might get a, a chancellor position at, a, at one of the universities or colleges, or something of that nature. But it, but it has to do with the organization itself. Okay? Um, a lot of Episcopal, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of Methodist, uh, and of course, I mean, you know, the Catholic system's hardcore wired that way. You start small, you work your way up, you know, and if you so desire, you know, you can politically work your way to bishop and cardinal and so forth. Again... people say God's in that system hmm okay I'm thinking about that real hard maybe so uh, now the question is what's the Bible got to say what's the Bible got to say about some of that. Well, to be very honest, the Bible says nothing really specifically about professional ministers. Now, um, there is some advice that Paul gives Timothy in uh, 1 Timothy. In fact, I'm thinking of chapter 5, certain verse 17, where Paul's really saying, you know, hey, Timothy, you know, you're kind of point man, point elder, pastor, bishop, for this group you're at. And he says this in 517.18, he says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads it out the grain. The laborer deserves his wages. Now, talk about wages here. Does it talk about full-time wages? Where Timothy's doing nothing but that? No. However, Many people would argue, and you could argue either way, that it's, it would be understandable for us to assume that Timothy was being totally supported by that church. Doesn't say that, but you could make an argument. Now, worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now, 
here's the kicker on this. The way the English reads a little bit, it would have you to believe that, oh, well, maybe there's some elders that do other stuff, and then there's some that do preaching and teaching. And the reason that sticks is because that's how it is now. We've got elders that do in charge of this and this and this and this and this, and then we have a teaching pastor. Well, got a question. The question works something like this. The Greek for those who labor basically is they do really hard studying to the point of fatigue. There's in the Greek a hint at fatigue where they are really spending a lot of time and effort in preaching and teaching. Now, you so on the one hand you could say okay well this implies that there's elders that do this kind of stuff and then there's teacher you know and a, a, a senior pastor that does you know teaching I would be more apt to argue that they all teach however comma the extra honor goes to those who really really labor hard and dig hard to the point of almost exhaustion in digging and preaching and teaching to get all of the of the teaching right that's what i would argue now with paul's quote here of uh of the scripture that says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain the laborers so elders do deserve some type of compensation for their for their efforts in overseeing and by the way elder is supposed to be a protector of the the people and the conversations The question is, the question is, what kind of wages are we talking about? Are we talking about full-time car and house and and uh, insurance and everything like that? Well, back then they're not, obviously. But is it all of their living, or is it part of their living? It really doesn't say that. Either way. Now, people will throw into the uh, the fact that Jesus did, did that, that he was itinerant and basically relied on the gifts of other people 100%, which is true. But he was also a carpenter up to the age of 30, earned his own living, and then was itinerant for three years, where he focused on teaching almost exclusively. So, now I'm not, I don't want to jump past Thessalonians too, also. Because I think this is something that Paul brings up that's pretty important. And it works this way. So, because evidently in Thessalonia, there were some people who brought up the fact that, you know, hey, you know, Maybe someone brought up the thought of uh, of ministers who get money, all right. But in First 
Thessalonians. 2.9, Paul tells them, uh, quote, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. So this is bivocational. Now, people are quick to say, well, yeah, but it was his choice. Well, yeah, it was his choice. But Paul also said at some uh, another point in his writings, uh, be imitators of me because I'm an inter- imitator of Christ. All right? But th- that was his attitude, is that, hey, you know, I could ask you money, and I would be in within my total rights to do so. However, I haven't. I've been working my brains out over here so that I wouldn't be a burden to you. In fact, he thought so much of it, he, uh, concerning this idea, in 2 Thessalonians, his second letter to Thessalonians 3.8, he says it again. He says, Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Almost the same wording as what he says in 2.9 in 1 Thessalonians. So he's making a point. Saying, look, I'm not going to be a burden to you. Now, I don't care how much money you got. I'm just saying this. You can't accuse me of being a money grabber because I am doing this honestly and I am working and I'm not even asking you for money. And at one point, uh, in another letter, he says, I could ask you for money. Say, I could ask you for, for support, and I would be within my right to do so. But not total support. I don't know. See, that's the argument. Is, is it total support that he could ask for? Maybe. Maybe not. But I don't think so. Not with his attitude toward bivocational work. He was a tent maker. And other translations you'll see leather worker but tents were made of leather and they were oiled so that they were waterproof so if it rained and so forth but anyway so professional ministry can can be a hindrance if the aspirations of the individual minister is solely on them now, is it wrong to want better for you and your family? No, I don't think so. Is it wrong to get it out of the church? Maybe. It may be, yeah. There have been ministers, pastors, who have written books and... God bless them. When they started making enough money for the books, they just said, uh, look, church, you don't have to pay me anymore. I got all the money I need. Well, that's just sweet. I would love to be able to do that. That's fantastic. I would, I would believe me, love for just this ministry to pay every bill. But it's the thing, you know? But if it doesn't, and bivocational ministry is what I've been doing most of my life, so I'm going to keep doing it. Anyway, we have to look at that and then focus on 
when you're looking at a minister, if all they're looking at is professional ministry, that's all, and they don't give God any elbow room in that process, um, that's not going to work out. Not usually. Because if God ain't blessing it, then you might as well have a CEO. Because they're about money. And that's what a business is. But the church is not a business. People say, you know, I've got to be about the business of Christ. Well, okay, here's the business of Christ. The business of Christ is charity. Which means it's not a business. Because business is about usually making money. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with making money. I just have a real complication sometimes with people doing that off the back of the church. So, anyway. With that in mind. Be wise about the ministers that you trust. The ministers that you hire if you're ever on a pulpit committee. And, like Paul said, if they're working hard at teaching you the word of God and studying it hard, and it shows, and their preaching shows, and their studying shows, give them double honor. Pat that person on the back. Tell them they're doing an awesome job. And monetary support is something. (laughs) You You don't have to make a millionaire out of them. But giving them monetary support, I think, is something that's... uh, that's allowed gracious charity is allowed but the, but the ones again that are really worthy of that are the ones that are teaching and changing lives doing it amen so with that in mind I want to tell you to keep on speaking it on edition of Speak It On. And as always, don't be afraid to speak the word in boldness and truth. And may God bless all of your efforts.